Hello, A Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. But hello, everybody out there in YouTube land and those that are in our secret Facebook group who are listening to tonight's uh, live stream, another episode of Sober Distancing. That's such a clever phrase. (laughs) 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 I'm so smart. (laughs) It's nice to be here with you guys um, sharing another Friday evening. And it's good to see you here again, Angela. How you doing? I'm doing all right got some allergies and stuff going the trees are still trying to kill me but uh we're hanging in there so good good well i'm going to be getting ready to take a some time off work next this coming week and i'm looking forward to that just to see something other than my immediate neighborhood to get on my bicycle and ride around town and i'm just kind of looking forward to breaking the routine i really felt like i needed to do that so that'll be good so why don't we kind of before we get into today's topic, um, which I think is going to be an interesting one, uh, it, it's kind of heavy, um, adverse childhood experiences and addiction. Um, and it, it has a lot to do with, you know, um, what is alcoholism? What is addiction? And how does our uh, past childhood experiences influence um, that? Um, Angela knows a lot more about the subject than I do. Um, I, I just read this article, basically. But <laughs> Angela's read a few books and has participated in some seminars and so forth. So she knows what she's talking about. But um, why don't we um, kind of touch base, Angela, about how we are doing personally and our groups during this time. Um, how has your group been faring since you've gone um, to meeting online? Um, it's been it's been doing well. Um, so the majority of our home group members attend our online meetings. Uh, one of the things that I've mentioned here that we discovered pretty quickly is that people would like uh, wanted an additional meeting um, a week. So we used to be just a Tuesday night group that met at the Unitarian uh, Fellowship, um, and now um, we're doing two Zoom meetings: so Tuesday night and Thursday night at 7 p.m. And so, um, yeah, the Tuesday night group has been been fairly large, averaging about 28 to 36 people. Um, Yeah, and uh, and so that's the one that has the the majority of our, our, you know, previous face-to-face home group members. Um, And then um, Thursday, um, we have... uh, we have a lot of people from uh, different states and uh, um, people in other um, counties in Idaho that uh, zoom in for that one. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it's it's kind of cool. We're definitely going to keep that one going because we've made such good friends um, with these people, and it feels like you know an additional home group. Um, and so, yeah, so you know, we're looking forward to keeping that you know long after the face to face. Goes back because it is helpful also for people who are working or um, who have kids that you know uh, can't always jump in their car and drive across town and do all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a great thing for us. Um, there's a few people that um, haven't uh, joined the Zoom revolution, <laughs> but uh, we're still keeping in touch with them via email or phone calls or or things like that. So yeah, our group seems to be doing well as far. As I can tell, we've had a couple of uh, new people join the group. Um, brand new to sobriety, first AA meeting was our online Zoom meeting. I find that really interesting, and yeah. uh, some of them uh, hopefully will join us when we meet in person. I don't know when that will be, but have you guys had any newcomers? Um, yeah, we've had a couple of them. Um, the other things we have uh, probably about, I'd say, about eight maybe, um, that are people who joined um, shortly before um, the meeting stopped down. So we have, yeah, we have um, several members that are, are newer in sobriety, you know, so doing the, the two months and, and uh, three months and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's pretty great. Um, um, I think that we get a lot from them and they're getting a lot from us through this. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool. 
So um, shall we dig into the topic tonight? All right, let's do this. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to rely on you. I, I kind of consider you the expert here. Um, I read the article. I did find it very interesting. And um, I'm going to kind of, I guess... Well, first, Frank, why don't you share what you you uh, okay, found interesting in the it. article? Okay. Yeah, because but, I, yeah. I I sent you the article and I'm like, well, we could consider this and we could consult this doctor. We could do this. And you're like, oh, let's just talk about it. I'm yeah, like, okay, yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. All right. I probably so could have called Dr. Baker and he probably would have done it on short notice, but I don't know. Yeah, so. no, it, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of these things that, you know, we're just going to go over kind of the basics um, here. I mean, not even on all of what um, ACEs is because it's it's such a vast uh, topic and and there's so much you know to know and to learn and to understand about it. Um, but our, our main thing was uh, talking about it um, as it pertains to addiction um, theory and and you know whether or not uh, people still um, believe that. Uh, that alcoholism and addiction is a um, biological illness, um, you know, um, or, you know, is it uh, something else? So anyway, go ahead and share what you thought your, um, okay. what and you I, shot, thought I'm of the article. I'm going to come back with you on a question on that too. Um, so remind okay. me. So maybe, um, <laughs> maybe uh, um, we could, can we post what the article is? I yeah, have... I did post a link to it on both okay. the Facebook group and, and the Great. YouTube uh, channel. And I can actually post another another link into, and you can too, actually, if you want to post okay. a link into the chat there. Yeah, um, yeah. So for those who don't, haven't heard either of that, it's, um, the article is um, on a website called Aces Too High. And it's basically a, a website that's associated with another website called Aces Connection. And it's basically dedicated to the research um, of adverse childhood experiences, um, developments in it, epidemiology, neurobiology, um, and biomedical, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, what communities and individuals and um, groups and agencies are are doing to try to uh, help mitigate it and uh, and help people who have experienced it. So, um, and the article was titled Adoption, Ad Adoption, Adoxin, no, just kidding. <laughs> Addiction Doc says it's not the drugs, it's the ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. So, yeah, go ahead. So, this is what I got from that article, and I I thought it was interesting. Um, first of all, you know, the whole idea of what addiction is anyway, you know, and in the article, it kind of defined addiction as just ritualized compulsive comfort sinking. And it's a normal response to um, experiences that we've had in childhood, traumatic experiences that we've had in childhood. And, you know, I didn't really see anything in that that in, in that statement at all that would um, differ from anything that I ever understood, you know, from when I when I went through the 12 steps and and particularly in steps four and five and learned about my past. I could I could see that. So anyway, and then it talks about, you know, how how this is, is treated and, um, you know, that would be by um one thing I found interesting was actually just changing the comfort seeking behavior from one that's unhealthy to one that's healthy. And that's something oftentimes I hear derided in the rooms that, you know, you shouldn't trade one addiction for another one, but I guess you could, if it's a healthy one, like exercising or reading or something like that, but um, to change a behavior like that. Um, and also to treat people individually in therapy and also in group therapy um, also encouraging people to participate in 12-step programs or any other type of um, group that where they could associate with other people and have some sense of community and so forth. Um, listening, treating people with respect was a big was a big one. You know, really listening to people and allowing them to um, integrate their own customs into their treatment. Um, and uh, I don't know. And then and then actually trying to deal with the actual experiences from their childhood itself. And I, and I found that interesting, too, because, you know, oftentimes when you think about when, when I when I would think about um, trauma in childhood, I might think that maybe I didn't experience a lot of trauma, that my family was fairly normal other than a mentally ill mother <laughs> and and uh, and, uh, and so forth. But uh, 
when I really stop and look about at it, and I did through my fourth step, I could see that there was a lot of instability in my household. So in my case, I never knew what I was going to get on any given day. I didn't know if I was going to have a peaceful household um, where there would be laughter and love in the house, or if I was going to have one of those days where mom was crazy, or one of those days when dad came home really angry because I did something and would get beaten for it. Um, it was that kind of a, a life that, that, that I lived. And so I was always on edge and I can even remember, um, well into adulthood, um, when I would be sitting in my apartment and when I would hear a slamming of a car door, I would, um, brace like, um, because it reminded me of the, of my father coming home and closing the, and I could hear him close the door of his car and, and that, and I would get immediately tense And so even well into my adulthood, when I would hear a closing door of a car, I would, you know, I'd get, I'd get all tensed up, like bracing myself for something. So there was definitely trauma in my, in my, um, childhood, you know, um, uh, that's just a fact. And, you know, I never really thought about it when I was drinking that my drinking was a response to that trauma. But when I look back at my history, and I learned this when I was going through the steps, um, my drinking started pretty early in life. I mean, when I was, God, I was probably eight, nine years old, I think, when I had my first drink, Angela. And when I had that drink, I knew immediately that it gave me a feeling that I, that I, that I needed. You know, it, it gave me some comfort. Like it says in this article, it, was, um, it gave me comfort, and I started to seek that comfort out. So it kind of makes sense to me. But you know, the question I was going to ask you, you talked about the people who don't like the idea that addiction isn't a disease. Well, why can't it be both? Why can't it be, um, you know, us, us, okay, finding a drug or a behavior um, that brings us comfort, but also causes us harm. And, and that, and doesn't it also at the same time kind of change your brain so that your brain is now have, have been, has been impacted by this. So can it be kind of both? Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think that when, I, when I'm thinking about, um, the ACEs, um, and I, you know, thinking about the addiction model, um, some of the things that, that I have difficulty with the addiction model is that, it, um, it seems to me that people feel that it's like completely out of their control. Like it's um, genetic in a way that it can't, you can't do anything about it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and so that's where I, you know, I have uh, some disagreement if, if that's the way the person is talking about it. Um, the, the plus with the addiction model uh, or the, um, the illness or disease model, I guess it is, um, is that uh, at least nowadays um, you can be treated. So if it's considered um, a disease of some sort, then oftentimes insurance and um, and other things you can get help. Whereas if it's um, not considered that, then people can be denied the help that they need um, to to deal with it. So. Um, but within the rooms is what I was thinking about too. Um, oftentimes we hear that you know that um, that I have an allergy, and, you know that you know to alcohol um, um, biologically and such, and um, and so that's one way that people are really identified with it. Um, and I think that ACEs, at least to me, has brought something different to consider. Um, and yes, they, they do, uh, from my understanding of the different studies, um, believe that, um, that adverse childhood experiences does change your neurobiology. Um, but that, you know, our, uh, compulsive behaviors are the, the brain's way to deal with that and that they're normal considering what we were dealing with, you know? So, um, so the, the ritualized, Compulsive comfort seeking is the way that that somebody who's been through that kind of experience um, would react, um, and so it normalizes it a little bit and takes away the shame um, or guilt or um, any of the other stigmatized things that that we often feel and that are sometimes still um, 
you know, used in 12-step recovery as, um, as a way to, you know, change your behavior, that it's still kind of a moral failing type thing. And so um, for me, ACEs, you know, helped with that, um, at least in an understanding of, you know, okay, yeah, you know, um, my way of dealing with this is natural given what I've been through. Um, so, um, but there is also, you know, I know a lot of people who said that they don't, they don't have, um, trauma in their childhood, you know, their parents were, were fine, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, it, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, yet they became alcoholic. Um, and so, um, with that, that you know, to Johnny's question, do you see Johnny's question there? What qualifies as a bad experience or condition in childhood as a trauma? Does it have to be abuse or something of that level? You know, um, that's, uh, that is, um, you know, debated about, of course. Um, but if you go to some of the, the ACEs and, um, trauma informed, uh, websites, um, a lot of things can be considered trauma. So, you know, what I was thinking about with the people who haven't experienced, um, specific trauma that they can think of. Um, it's usually, or it can be something as simple as that maybe their parents were young when, um, they were conceived and, um, and the mother was more stressed than other mothers about, you know, the birth or something could have happened at birth, you know, a particularly difficult, um, birth that may have caused, you know, um, some, a uh, change, uh, neurobiological biologically. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean or need to be that your parents, you know, were horrible people or your caregivers or anything like that. There are a lot of different things, um, you know, that, that will go into, um, the ACEs, but I can, I can read over the basic list that the, the Kaiser, um, Kaiser Permanente, I believe it was, um, and CDC, um, Put out, and so this study was done, I think, in the '90s, um, and um, and it had uh, 300 members. And so the questions that were asked then um, were were based on um, the answers that that group gave that were common. Um, and so you know, newer studies um, and newer versions of the ACEs um, have been out, as well as like resilience questionnaires and things like that. Um, and so the the later ones take into account more things like you know where you grew up, um, you know ethnicity, uh, gender, um, you know racism, and you know things like that. Um, so um, so. Quickly, <laughs> the first one is, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? And so, um, and, you know, these with questions like that, like that one, um, what might um scare me or make me feel humiliated might not for somebody else, you know, so that's where, you know, some of those little distinct differences can come in. Um, number two, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Uh, number three, did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touch their body in a sexual way or attempt or actual ha have actual um, oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you? Uh, number four, did any or did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you and or thought that you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other or support each other? Number five, did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes and had no one to protect you or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? Number six, were your parents ever separated or divorced? Number four, was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes often or very often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or a knife? Eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker, alcoholic, or used street drugs? Nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill, or did a household member attempt suicide? And ten, did a household member go to prison? 
And so those were like the basic ones that they started out with. There's, you know, ones now that are, are a little more refined, um, you know, and inclusive and, and you know, do different things uh, or give, you know, and include like, more. And like most things in life, it, it, it runs on a spectrum. So you can have, you know, like Jackie was pointing out that you maybe you just went you were as a kid, your parents had a divorce. And if that was the only question that you answered yes on, then your score is one. So it's low on the score, you know, it's low on the scale, but it, you know, you still have experienced that. Um, when I took that test, I scored a three. And so that's fairly, you know, that's fairly high, but they said, um, in the article that if you were four, your, um, your chances of, um, having an addiction at a score of four were much, much higher. I guess then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things when I was reading it, that, um, that they, a lot of the, the different uh, correlations that they've been able to make now um, are with people who have four or more. Um, so like it, um, with four or more, it doubles the risk of heart disease and cancer in people. Um, and it uh, increases your risk of becoming alcoholic by 700%. And so, you know, all of the studies that are coming out, um, they were surprised because many of them were actually health, um, you know, so heart disease and lung disease and uh, diabetes and things like that. And so they could, you know, most of them understand how some of this connections could be made between um, addictive and, you know, parents who are are cruel, (laughs) you know, things like that, or, you know, mental health going that way. But the physical health was um, what was unusual to them and, and new in the 90s. Um, and so, yeah, so with the, the ACEs, it's, it's very high that, um, you know, if you have four or more, that you're going to become um, addicted to something. And so what I, I liked about this article or what was interesting was the way that he rephrased addiction. You know, we, we hear a lot of different phrases now. I know several people that um, don't say that they're alcoholic when they're introducing themselves in a meeting. They, they say, um, I can't drink alcohol safely or um, I am alcohol free or mm-hmm. you know, things like that. I hear so, that more and more all the time. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that's totally normal um, in in our, you know, uh, world, I guess, in our um, secular AA meetings. Um, but I really liked that um, that he um, he just changed it all together into the, the what is it, ritualized compulsive comfort seeking. Um, because when I think back on my life, that's mainly what I did, <laughs> you know. So as I've, I've spoke before in this podcast um food was my first thing that was a a ritualized compulsive comfort seeking behavior um you know and then when um when i was done with food then it was alcohol and um and then when i was done with alcohol it was aa you know and so i go to aa every single day multiple meetings and i got a sponsor and i'd call people and i was of service and you know and i did all of all of the stuff um ritualistically and and uh, compulsively at times, like if I didn't know what to do with myself or I had a feeling run amok uh, that I couldn't get a hold of my sponsor, I, you know, go to a meeting. That's what you're supposed to do. You go to a meeting. So, you know, sometimes I went to a meeting even when I wasn't planning to go to a meeting. Um, and so, you know, is that good or bad? I, I think with uh, what this doctor is talking about is that, you know, it's a, a, a compulsive a ritualized compulsive seeking behavior that won't kill me or right. put me in jail. Right. You know? right. And so, you know, like you said about that, I, I agree that, um, that oftentimes, um, we talk about, you know, other addictions or, or going to different things as being, being negative. And, um, and, you know, in the long run, you know, that probably is because, um, you know, in my doing that, I wasn't necessarily addressing whatever was buggy me you know I ran to a meeting but on the other hand I didn't have the tools to address what was bugging me so I ran to the meeting you know and now I might make a different choice because you know I have more tools um, and I've gone through um, additional therapy and I understand myself better in a way that I couldn't in early sobriety and so that's where you know I think that it's not a negative thing Um, it it might be if you you know continue to only use that but um, ideally I think for most of us you know we want to you know get tools start to get used to them and use them and then continue to develop tools you know that's kind of what you know 11 and 12 in our steps are about 
You know, Gail has um, mentioned something here that's kind of an interesting thing about this, too. She says that she was raised by non-drinking parents who married very young, but both were raised by alcoholic fathers, and they both suffered consequences of that upbringing. And I, what I think is interesting about that is it shows how the trauma can be passed from one generation to another, that it can be generational as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that they're currently, or I've heard it called legacy um, trauma, and um yeah, and some of the, the therapies I've heard that work well with that are the internal family systems, self-directed leadership therapy. Um, and uh, I believe uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk talks about it quite a bit, um, and he's the author of uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and so there are several modalities in that book that he talks about that are helpful for working with uh, legacy traumas as well but yeah um that's a, a newer one you know within the um within the community um the trauma community <laughs> uh, that people are talking about and and for some people you know it, it still sounds a little bit out there but um they are um doing more and more research to um prove that yeah that this is a thing and, and something to be working on so yeah i had the same experience you know gail had um when i when i I, I learned so much from the fourth and fifth step, but when I, when I did that and I looked at my parents, I could see knowing what I knew about their lives. You know, my father's father died um, when my dad was like eight years old. My mother's father committed suicide. Hell, they grew up in the great depression. You know, <laughs> there was just, there was just, uh, it was just a hard life for them, you know? Um, so uh, they were poor. My mother was very poor. Um, so they, they just really had, they really had a difficult um, time and they, they were doing the best they could. And I understood when I did that, when I did that fourth step, um, how much, how much I had in common, particularly with my mother and that I, I really was able to, you know, understand her. I, I, I wouldn't ever really use the word um, forgiveness. Uh, like I, I don't really think she needed that, but I, I really understood, I guess, why she was the way she was. And it helped me just having that understanding, I guess. But it was definitely a generational thing. I mean, she she <laughs> she um, inherited from her father this whole this depression and suicide thing that she passed on to me, you know, right. and our family. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's the same for, for ours as well. My grandfather on my mother's side committed suicide, and, and my mother has been hospitalized uh, for suicidal um, ideology and, and tendencies, and as have I in my early 20s. And so, um, so yeah, so um, whether they intended to or not, you know, that stuff does get, get passed down. Um, but it, it's not always, you know, as visible. Um, the other thing I like about that uh, article is that um, he does uh, talk, I think he, he's quoting from um, Dr. Vanderkolk um, when he mentions that there are the things that we can cognitively see and know and learn. Um, and then there's the things that, that we don't, like the smell of somebody's cologne, you know, might trigger us if we were, you know, um, it, things like that, you know, unpleasant experiences that, that that, um, our body still can remember, um, but we don't know about, you know, why do we get a stomachache every time we go, you know, into this building, things like that. And so there, there's a lot in there. And, and one of the reasons I, I thought it was important to bring up is that I know for me that I've done a lot of step work and I've done a lot of therapy and things like that. And yet sometimes it can feel frustrating when I feel like, you know, I'm either on a plateau or like, you know, I'm, I'm not handling things as well as I want to or lashing out at people or doing some things. And this uh, learning, a, you know, some of this stuff reminds me that uh, that there's a lot going on with this, you know, Angela thing that I'm inhabiting <laughs> and that, you know, and that it's okay, you know, that I don't, uh, that, you know, uh, there isn't a perfect practice of uh, mindfulness. There isn't a perfect program to work in AA. There isn't perfect therapy, um, stuff like that. Um, and so I, I thought it was important to bring that up. And also if anybody's listening and, and goes to check out their ACEs and, uh, and feels a little bit, um, you know, has some feelings about it, then I, I would highly recommend that you, um, you know, talk to somebody about it. Um, because I know for me, it was a little bit, um, 
frustrating. Uh, one of my first experiences with it was um, watching a PBS special um, about it, and then also watching um, the documentary Resilience, and um, and I cried um, several times because my A score is an eight, and so all I saw was the stuff on how you know I'm I'm more likely to die ten years earlier and and have all of these different health problems as well as you know my mental health and my addiction tendencies and all of that you know. Um, but on the other hand, I do have a lot of resilience. I have a, a lot of things that I've changed in my life. You know, I'm, I'm you know, very healthy person as far as what I eat. And, you know, I, I stopped using and, and drinking, um, you know, in my early 30s. And uh, and so, yes, yeah, so there are a lot of things that, that I've been able to do and, and understand that, that changes that. And now I'm continuing to work on um, the connections between um, my mind and the way that I think about things and the neuropathic ways and uh, how it relates to my body so that I can release any of the, the uh, you know, toxic stress, <laughs> release any of the trauma that is still um, being held by my body. So, uh, you know, I did a podcast once with Dr. Nicole Labor and she, she's, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, she's an addiction. Um, she's an addiction doctor. And mm-hmm. she was talking about how um, step work in particular helps create new neural pathways um, that kind of strengthens our brain. Um, And I I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't quite, quite understand it, but I, but I do get it. I mean, it's like we can retrain our brain. Our brain is an organ and I guess it, it, um, it just reacts to our environment and what we put into it. And by practicing, you know, healthy behaviors and, and maybe just changing the way we're thinking, we start creating more, um, these neurons, I guess, that are more, um, uh, helpful to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, neuroplasticity is, is amazing. And it's, you know, definitely, um, you know, a, a saving grace, I guess, um, for those of us who are, are not religious. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the, the mind is a very powerful thing. And, and, um, and so with neuroplasticity, we can learn um, to use different neural pathways. We can retrain our brain from, you know, these, these ideas and these things that, that we did or the beliefs that we held. So, you know, like when we go through the fourth um, step and do a fifth step, we start to see all of these things that we believe to be true, either about our past or the world in general or how we behaved or, you know, things like that. And then we're able to cognitively see that, you know, maybe that's not exactly what happened or maybe I could think about it in a different way. Um, You know, and so that's kind of a a basic um, way of doing that. But for the stuff that's really, really hard um, and really ingrained, you know, EMDR therapy is really good for that. Um, and again, the, the internal family systems um, is really good for that. Um, and then there are other, you know, things that people are doing, other studies um, and research and programs like, uh, you know, the MDMA um, and psychedelics. Um, that is, um, you know, they had stopped doing that research because of those crazy hippies. Um, and now, you know, they're back to doing the research on it. And I know um, uh, Dr. Um, Bessel van der Kolk is um, doing some of that in his trauma um, research now, um, looking at that and, and how that can help um, to change um the neuropathways. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's all, you know, exciting stuff. Um, so we're not stuck, um, because of our childhood or because of our experiences. And, and I agree, um, in our, our conversation, uh, live comments, it looks like there's, you know, some discussion on, um, big T and little T trauma. And yeah, so like a, you know, big T trauma is of course, you know, being beaten or, or in a major accident or witnessing somebody being hurt or things like that. Little T trauma might be kind of like, um, the the kid that put the tax on my chair, you know, in grade school, and um, and not only did it physically hurt, but then I was embarrassed and um, and um, in the and you know uh, felt ashamed and and like everyone hating me and stuff like that. That's kind of a, a small T trauma, um, or what most people would consider a small T trauma. To me, of course, it was you know, trauma. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, those are kind of some of the the um, or being being shamed in front of people in front of a class. You know, you had mentioned something about how teachers handled things um, when you were in school. Oh, that, yeah. uh, 
Oh yeah, it yeah. was. The, it, you would. Um, so if you misbehaved, they would bring you in front of the class and they take a paddle out and they would beat you, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and it was humiliating. I and I was actually um, thinking about that when I read the article. I don't believe that I ever actually got that. Um, got, got beaten like that, but I saw others get right. it, you know? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. And so you just live in you. fear of that, you yeah. know, in school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, it's crazy. As Joe said, yeah. it was a ruler. And I, in my case, it was actually a paddle. It's like teachers actually had these paddles um, that they would hang, they would hang the damn things on their blackboard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know, yeah. it was crazy. Um, yeah. Call us, if you will, please, at 844-899-8278. Uh, is that the right number? Yeah, it is. 844-899-8278. We'd love to hear from you. We're talking about um, adverse childhood experiences and addiction. And, you know, Angela, yeah. you thought that this might be a controversial topic, but you know what? I think most of the people that are at least listening to this podcast right now through and mm-hmm. YouTube and so forth seem to think that it's right on. I mean, people are saying that the definition seems to make sense. Um, they're all relating different traumas that they've had in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, I think it cool. kind of comports pretty well. And also someone else, I don't know if you've heard of this book, but someone from the Facebook group is recommending a book. Uh, Dr. Jamie Merrick, is that how you pronounce that? Um, has a book. It's a new edition of her book, Trauma and the 12 Steps. It's going to come oh, out in July. No, I, I have not heard of that. So cool. Yeah. That'll be fun. <laughs> not for people uh, for those of you listening in for the first time um yeah ni- we should probably qualify that neither of us um are trained in any way um on any of the stuff we're talking about we're both just people who are in recovery that like to talk That's and right. um <laughs> and so so yeah so one of the running jokes is that that my hobby is uh trauma um, and that, uh, and that, you know, I, I just find it fascinating, um, and, you know, based on my own experience and those of, of others as well. And so I, I really like to read books, um, that, uh, talk about, you know, trauma and trauma addiction and, um, yeah, things like that, as well as mental health. You know, I, I think that there's, you know, some, some, you know, interesting things to say about, you know, the, the diagnoses that we get um, that, you know, if we address the developmental trauma we had, you know, we might not have that or, you know, it it would affect it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Heidi Juniper, she says a perspective I am really drawn to comes from trauma therapist, Bonnie uh, Badenoch. It's her mentor, um, which has to do with understanding the brain co-regulation and how accompaniment can help. So um, why don't you call us, Heidi? <laughs> Tell us more about that. <laughs> I would love to have someone call us. That's the most yeah. fun. <laughs> well, and yeah, we haven't heard from Jackie. I mean, I think one of these, out there. I mean, do we have to call her? Do, <laughs> do we have to phone a friend? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But um, anyway, so yeah, cool. I, I get kind of I get kind of lost sometimes when I start reading through the comments. It's fun to see so many people out there, though. We've got 26 people um, actually... I'm watching the live stream right now. So that's kind of nice. Thank you everybody for doing that. Yeah. So cool. I think what, what I'm reading with um, Heidi is, um, you know, I don't know that I've heard that that specific approach, but I think in internal family systems, um, the self-directed leadership, it's kind of similar um, in the, you know, I guess having a, a, a different part of you, um, usually with a therapist, go back and, and start to look at some of those traumas. And um, and you basically are, you know, using the adult self um, to, to go back and, and um, witness what the child self or the younger self is trying to show you about a certain situation. And so in doing that, you can relieve the burden that that child self is still holding on to. Um, and, um, and then, you know, it can go and, and do something else. And, um, and your, your body starts to then, you know, your entire system, <laughs> you know, mental, physical, you know, all of that, um, starts to trust that um, in who you are now and that you are, you know, well, most of us are adults um, that can 
can actually handle um, situations and keep us safe. Um, and so, yeah, so that's one of the, the therapies that I know um, exists. Another one is with couples, and I can't remember what it's called at the moment, um, but it's where um, a therapist takes the couples into some of these um, traumatic scenes from one of their childhoods, um, and the, the partner then is there to witness, you know, basically what the their you know partner has to say about what happened to them and then is is acts as kind of like the heavy in the situation to you know um either beat up on the person that was beating up on them or you know remove that person or whatever act as a protector and so even though it's all stuff that you know technically is imaginary that we're talking about (laughs) um it does change something within um a person's brain and uh sometimes uh offers relief so got a caller i love it hello how are you oh didn't work okay you scared them away you were a little too excited i wonder if the person from the facebook book who's calling who's making comments about um adoption and so forth is that david b yeah yeah if it is is why don't you call us and tell us a little bit about adoption and how that impacts um uh, people's, um, yeah, I was able to sit in on his, um, his discussion at the last, uh, international conference of secular AA. And I passed on uh, his book to a friend of mine who, um, who was also, um, adopted and she hadn't, um, heard anybody else's story, um, ever of, uh, being in, um, in recovery or addiction. We'll try to see if it works this time. Hello. How are you? Hello, this is Heidi. Oh, hi, Heidi. Thank you for calling. Hi, Heidi. Yeah. Hey, let me, okay, so I feel like my, okay, I was listening to the feed, and I think my feed might be a few seconds behind our conversation. It is. There's a little bit of a delay. I don't know why they do that, but there is a oh, delay. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. All right. So, um, yeah, so I paused that so it wasn't so distracting. Hey, guys. Mm-hmm. So, Angela, Hello. Hello. I think and and um and it's Angela and John, is that right? Yes. Um and you would you would suggest to John that I should call in? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I wanted you to call in because I thought you were making some um pretty intelligent comments out there and I just thought that you might have uh something that you'd like to share on the on the topic. Well, I my comment um uh, I'm so relating to what you're saying, and I'm so excited to be hearing Angela's voice since we <laughs> went to high school together, but oh, haven't cool. been so connected in a long time. And so, ironically, I'm I'm calling long distance to talk to a person who lives a few miles from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just finding it so exciting. All these things you're talking about: Esther Vandalcock and um, IFS and integrating memories in that way by revisiting them uh, through that internal family systems process. And the things that I was referencing, and I'm not a therapist. I'm just very, very interested in this process. So I'm offering my understanding, but not any kind of um, certified and clinical training about it. So it's just, um, I I guess, Angela thinks that she has a, uh, this is kind of a hobby or an interest. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a really serious hobby, but I'm definitely not a professional of that sort. Uh, it seems like an important caveat to offer, but my mentor is a trauma therapist and she talks a lot about how traumas get embedded and how they can um, stay sort of unresolved and then how we are able to ultimately integrate them. And her perspective is from the interpersonal neurobiology perspective, uh, which is kind of a clunky term, I would say, but it it really focuses on interpersonal stuff, on relational stuff. So her perspective is that a lot of what trauma consists of is feeling um, a lot of fear and pain in the moment and not being able to process it. And that a really important component of that is whether or not you're having support with the people around you to process it. Um, and that that applying both to the moment that the trauma trauma is embedded, and then also when we're older having support. I mean, I would I think she would say a big part of why like meetings are really powerful is that there's a part of the memory that's still active in our bodies. Like it's 
even though we factually know it's over, our bodies, there's a part of our bodies that doesn't know, but having support and accompaniment now can heal and, and, and resolve that. And I think that's based on memory recon, reconsolidation work by Ecker yeah. and Paul. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that doctor, um, from the article was saying something similar that like any sort of, um, group therapy, um, where you can share similar experiences with other people is, you know, it's helpful. So, you know, there's, there's safety in numbers is what I'm hearing from what you say. Cool. Well, thank you so much for calling Jackie or not Jackie. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Heidi. I find myself looking at the Facebook, uh, the thing, the feed all the time anyway, but thank you. Thank you for calling. I'm going to take another caller. If you don't mind, we've got sure, two sure. people waiting, which yeah, is no, so exciting. Just a to talk to you. Oh, so yeah, nice to yeah, talk to really you. Yeah, it's really great. I love the topic. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Heidi. So cool. Let's see who this might be. Hello. Hello, John and Angela. This is David Bull calling. I thought that Hi, was you David. out there. there was a wonderful show. <laughs> there was somebody out there talking it about is. adoption. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I was delighted to happen upon it. I, I, for some reason, did not see any advance notice of it, and I am so delighted that you're both talking about this because it is so important as you've identified from any number of aspects, not the least of which is the fact that um, there are lots of people in our midst looking for support in, in the rooms that we hang out in who have these traumas and they don't always know how to address them in that group setting. And as was mentioned during the last caller, it's there's there are also some situations that make it very difficult for people to feel safe. Right. So what we what we really need to do is is whatever the therapy is, whether it's exposure therapy, whether it's Bessel van der Kolk's approaches, whether it's that that, that family systems type therapy it's key to provide an environment of safety and of validation to the individual seeking that, whether they really know they're looking for that or not. And sometimes, as we know, we, we don't always feel comfortable in every support group room we walk into. So we have to be re- really mindful of that. And, and yes, I was the one who had commented on Dr. Dr. Jamie Marich's book. It's actually a second edition. She wrote the book some years ago, probably hmm, close to 10 years ago, and it's excellent. It's excellent, and it, it reinforces much of what you're talking about, but also finds a, forms a great guide for people with trauma trying to navigate 12-step fellowships and particularly some of the literature, especially that contained in the big book. Yeah, yeah. It, or that's still talked about in, in meetings and stuff, a lot of the, the stuff that is still um, either shaming or relies upon, you know, that in meetings. So that's cool. I'll look forward exactly. to seeing that. And David. Um, well, people who are traumatized. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. Oh, no, well, I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it, it, it probably won't come as any surprise to generalize that people who have been traumatized oftentimes have difficulty with the very concept of powerlessness. Right? They've, been, they've been manipulated or they, they've been abused or they, they've been psychologically um, um, der- derailed somewhere throughout the, their, their lifetime. And, they, and to be told that they're also powerless because of their addiction causes some real problems for an individual walking into the door. It, because a lot of the therapies that Angela was talking about are about empowerment. They're about self-empowerment. And that oftentimes is not the view that some people are learning when they walk into the doors of some fellowship. So that's very difficult. And in particular, what, what can be very dangerous to some is that old spiritual axiom. When there's something wrong, there's something wrong with me. That's a very difficult message to impart upon people who come into the rooms with trauma. That would be very ill-advised in many cases to do that. So we have to be very careful and we have to offer it to whatever degree that appropriate therapy that Angela was talking about and a safe place for people to process these emotions. My particular um, experience is both personal. I'm, I'm, I'm a relinquishee. I was relinquished at birth and adopted shortly thereafter. And I'm a person in long-term recovery um, from alcoholism. And um, I got into the business of alcoholism and addiction treatment and didn't realize how important knowing about this trauma history of relinquishes, orphans, fostered individuals was. And now that I'm in the business, I can tell you that the people who come to us are hugely overrepresented when they've had these relinquished experience early on, just like people with trauma are. So something, and what a great conversation you're having. I'm delighted. Thanks for bringing this to the people's awareness because it's something we strive to do. We talk about the newcomer, but it's also that newcomer 
with trauma that we have to be very well aware of. David, you know, one of these days we're going to have to have you back on this um, live stream to talk about your book too, because I love that book. In in that book, in Parallel Universes, um, you talk about your growing up and how as an adoptee, you always knew you were an adoptee and you always thought it was a positive thing because your parents told you how great it was that they, they chose you, that you were adopted. And then one day, I think you were maybe five years old and you were walking with some friends and you were so proud that you were adopted and you told them this and they looked at you like there was something wrong with you. And from that moment on, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was a struggle for you. And from that, from that moment on, that's when I guess you realized the trauma isn't, is that, am I reading that right? I think, you know, I'm, 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 I'm honored that you remember the detail of it. Yes, I was six years old. I was, in fact, hanging with a couple of friends. And yes, I did tell them proudly. And it was just right then and there that I realized how fragile trust is, right? Yeah. I mean, the very people who I loved and adored and who raised me yeah. must have been lying to me. They were telling right. me it was cool all along to be adopted yep. when, in fact, these people were treating me, my friends were treating me like a pariah. Yep. So, so, so there was a disconnect there, right? There, yep. there was. There was, there was something that was not in my reality right there that, that caused me to be hyper-vigilant and, and, and to, I guess, hyper-analyze everything over a series of time. And as you suggested before, I, I believe that my alcoholism stemmed from that as mm-hmm. a learned behavior. Right? Mm-hmm. I happened to put alcohol and it became this magical medication to an illness that I didn't even know I had. And that illness was disconnection, shame, all the things that go along with the trauma. That, that, that's associated with that. And I, I learned that it was a way to check out and to, to numb that pain. Absolutely. Yes, it's inherently a disease too. Is because you've read my book, you know that I have a deep family history of, of, of alcoholism and addiction. And there's some mental health in my, my genetic line as well. But yes, absolutely. Thanks well, for, thanks it's for a, it's a great that up. book. It's a great that. book. Will you come back sometime and, and talk to us on this? Uh, on I this enjoy that stream? very much. Let's definitely do it. I'll send you an of email. Course, we can yeah, arrange very that. Much. Okay, well, let's take another call. Uh, thank you for calling, Dave. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and mm-hmm. thanks, Angela. Bye-bye. Let's see who this might be. Hello? Oh. Hi, this is Michelle oh, hey, Michelle. Baltimore. Michelle Hi, Don Baltimore. and Angela. How you doing? Good. Nice Good. to hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah um, Jackie texted me like, oh, no, you should call in. <laughs> <laughs> so I will today. Uh, might as well. Um, I, uh, yeah, I have, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic, but also, um, a social worker. And I'm, I was just kind of sitting here, um, a little struck only graduated from grad school less than 15 years ago. And my track was child maltreatment and, and we touched on trauma, but when I got into the field, um, like, you know, Angela, you're you're talking about like different treatment modalities. We really were just um, uh, referring to, I mean, I'm working with um, alcoholics and addicts, but then you know, a lot of, a lot of folks that have a history of trauma and I'm referring to just general therapists and, um, and, and CBT at the time. And really in the last 10 years, um, the education has been so much better. And I got to go to um, an international child maltreatment conference um, in San Diego. And they had uh, a whole day on ACEs. And my mind was just blown. Um, it's where, how I've used it in my practice is, um, is as like a psychoeducational tool for parents that I'm working with. Because like you're saying, we don't even know that these are... Um, a lot of the traumas add up. And then when we can talk to them about um, their their long-term health, but then also mental health as well. I mean, I just, it, it was amazing at the time. And so it's really, really changed. And um, I, when I got into recovery, I knew I didn't have a, 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 if we were looking at the ACE score, I didn't have a lot of them, but I just knew from looking at other people like, that my story was a little bit easier, but I still had to, I still had, you know, a pretty uh, intense addiction and I was going to die if I didn't do something about it. So I, I'm going to do the work and I'm going to follow this path. Um, and thank goodness I did, but, um, but it's, it's still, you know, I can still see those when, when they're breaking down little ones about, or not little ones, but smaller aspects of, you know, it was your, 
uh, a parent with mental health issues. So I might have not looked at it then, or my clients might not look at their depressed parent as because there wasn't suicide attempts or something like that. But it opens up the doorway to talk to about how our trauma affects us. So right. yeah, I just yeah. wanted to put then- that in. Yeah, no, I, that just made me think of that, you know, like for, for me, you know, yeah, my mine is high. But one of the things on the questions was, you know, did you ever feel like no one loved you and your family? And, and I, I always felt, felt loved, you know, we had all of this crazy stuff going on, but there was love there, you know. And, um, and so for me, you know, that was important. Whereas, you know, I, I know a couple of people um, who are also within the rooms, you know, that, um, that had a, a pretty great upbringing you know that all of their their needs were met they went to good schools their parents were attentive and stuff um but they didn't actually feel like the the you know the emotional love they that uh you know that i felt from my family so it's like we were messed up but you know we loved each other and uh you know and so you know is there one that that's better than the other well no i think they could all lead to um addiction or or uh, uh less healthy coping mechanisms i guess Right. So maladaptive behaviors. Yeah. There we go. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, I guess, my my work jargon. But we've been um, in my agency, we've been uh, training more on uh, internal family systems, but then also um, another uh, evidence supported, not evidence based treatment right now, but the, it was called um, instinctual trauma response. And um, I don't, I'm not a therapist, so I don't do it with people, but I've had the training. And their theory is, is that, you know, there's a, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and not these long-term neglects, but that, that when, you know, going back um, and, and uh, work processing the trauma and then putting an end to it helps your, your, the left side of your brain understand that it's ended. Um, so some of the trauma responses that come up, those, uh, this fight or flight, um, or where we're um, triggered by a smell or um, driving down the street, um, that we're able to, that our brain can know, you know, that we're not back in that old trauma, um, that it's ended, and um, and that we can, you know, we now have another toolbox to use, and so it's a lot of the same terminology that we use in AA, but yeah. so, yeah. Very cool. Well, thank anyway, you. thanks for letting me call in. Well, thank yeah. you, Michelle. So nice and, to hear from uh, you. I love listening it. to you guys. Oh, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Um, I've learned a lot, too, from from this podcast and from reading the article and talking to you guys. Um, I never really thought, I don't really think too much about the topic. I mean, I thought about it when I was going through the steps, and it made sense to me. But when you read about it from like a therapeutic point of view or scientific point of view, really does kind of make sense to me you know um so thank you everybody for your comments in the in the chat room and by calling in and angela thank you for um helping me understand this um i'm amazed that we were able to um fill an hour <laughs> but we did it i think we did a pretty good job thanks oh, to i'm not I'm, I'm i figured that we'd have quite a few people calling in this is oh, this wow. is the hot topic i guess uh, so yeah in uh, recovery uh, i do remember right one now. time when we made a po- someone made a post about it on our facebook group and it was kind of controversial because people said oh trauma has nothing to do with addiction and, and whatever so and maybe, yeah uh, yeah so, so. It, it, it can be so i guess it depends on which group you know is is uh, talking about it at the time. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I love talking about this and, and, uh, I hope we did it a little bit of justice, but again, it's, you know, just an introduction to the idea. And, um, there are a lot of resources out there, um, for people. So, um, you know, if you need some additional one or if, uh, something we talked about, uh, triggered something in you um please post in in the facebook group or or get a hold of us so that we can give you um some resources uh people that you can talk to or help you find somebody in your community that that you can get some more information and and help from so thank you everybody for listening once again i do appreciate it um thank you for calling in thank you for your comments in the chat room um it's just wonderful we've had some really intelligent comments today And I appreciate that. 
uh, it's 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 interesting how this is this is just so much fun. It's like an AA meeting. It's like you know we can talk about some serious topics. We can talk about trauma from our past, and I don't know, but it's kind of odd. I I just it's still we can still laugh and we can still enjoy being <laughs> together. So that's right. what I love about AA. So anyway, thanks again uh, for listening to another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. And uh, we're not hurting for money right now, but if you would like to support AA Beyond Belief, the podcast and our website, we would appreciate it. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. And just making small donations, even a dollar a month is really appreciated. And you can do that through our Patreon page at uh, patreon.com slash AA Beyond Belief. You can also donate at uh, PayPal, uh, paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief, or simply by going to our website, aabeyondbelief.org, and there's a donate button you can click on. And uh, we've had recently um, quite a few people join the Patreon, um, I don't know, club, whatever you call it, and it has really been helpful. So thank you very much for that. So we'll be back again next week uh, for another uh, sober distancing episode. Uh, The pandemic continues, and we're staying sober somehow. So we'll be back. Thank you, Angela. It's been great talking to you again. Yeah, you too. Goodbye, everyone.